from prisoner to prime minister. Genesis 41. At age 17, according to chapter 37, verse 2, Joseph was sold for a slave, lifted out of his father's home to be a slave. At age 30, according to verse 46 of the passage we read a few moments ago, he was prime minister of Egypt. What happened in the 13 years in between is one of the most interesting stories you will ever read. We do not know for sure how long Joseph was in prison. We do know that the chief butler forgot him when the butler was released from prison and restored to Pharaoh's household. His ingratitude was overwhelming when he got back into the position he had lost. In the first verse of the 41st chapter, it does state that two years after the butler forgot Joseph, Pharaoh dreamed a dream. We do know that. So he spent a good while in that prison. What a lesson is here for us at Capital Christian Center on this Labor Day weekend. The matter of clinging to God's revelation, for that is what brought Joseph victoriously through, the revelation of God. We talked about that in detail last week. Early in Joseph's life, he dreamed of his brother's sheaves bowing to his sheaf. That had not yet been fulfilled. His brothers said to him, Shalt thou indeed have dominion over us, you little whippersnapper? That's my addition. But that's what they thought. He was a skinny, 17-year-old favorite of his father. Will you reign over us? It will never happen. But Joseph had a revelation from God. Do you think it was easy for him during those years of prisonry? I wonder. The psalmist wrote about Joseph's experience. Have you ever noticed it in the 105th Psalm? Beginning at verse 16, he called for a famine upon the land. He broke the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron. Does that sound easy? Until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tested him or tried him. The king sent and loosed him, even the ruler of the people, and let him go free. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his substance. It was a difficult time, I believe. The Living Bible reads in verse 19 of Psalm 105, until God's time finally came, how God tested his patience. Maybe you feel you're in a prison house today, much like Joseph. There is a secret to life here for you this morning. 
until God's time. That is a key phrase. Until God's time. Romans 11.33, I would like to interject here because Paul speaks of God's ways being past finding out. Some of you have been scrutinizing, analyzing, conferenceizing, talking to others, trying to figure out God's ways. Save your time. God's ways are past finding out. What must we do? We must simply place ourselves in his hands and know that God is never early and that God is never late. He's always on time, usually not our time, his time. That could be one of the most significant things you take from this service today. God is never early, God is never late. He knows how much we can bear. God's time to act is indeed God's time, not our time, until God's time finally came. Oh, I pray that God's time for you is today, but if it isn't, that doesn't change anything. God is God. He will be on time for you, whatever the circumstance may be. Pharaoh dreamed a dream. Notice the ingredients of this incredible happening. Pharaoh dreams some perplexing dreams. He's troubled in the palace. Running around is a butler who had been in prison, a naughty butler. He sees the Pharaoh in consternation. What's the matter, Pharaoh, king of Egypt? I have dreamed some dreams, and I cannot understand them. And then, like a light turning on in a darkened room, the butler says, I do remember my faults this day. He had promised a young fellow in prison that he would remember him to the Pharaoh when he got out, and he had totally forgotten. I do remember my faults. In verse 16, Joseph is brought before the Pharaoh, and Joseph does not show one iota of bitterness, one iota of consternation, he looks at the king of the greatest land of the time and says, God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Hallelujah. What a man. What a faith. What a strength of character in this man, Joseph. He explains the dream. Seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. He says, appoint a wise man to administer the food supply. He did not say, appoint me, you lucky Pharaoh. 
He said, appoint a wise man to administer the food supply, and I see him stepping back into the shadows to let Pharaoh do what Pharaoh wanted to do, trusting God. As far as Joseph was concerned, he was going back to the prison. All he had done was to explain the dream. He had no promises beyond that. I think we ought to look at 1 Peter 5, 6 at this point, the inspired words of the apostle of our Lord who said, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. What is our problem? We like to maneuver. We like to take out our pencil and our paper and figure it all out. Day one, this is what will happen. Day three, day seven, day 100, this is the way it will be. And it doesn't turn out that way and we lose faith. Why should we lose faith? It was our conniving. It was our planning. It was our doing all the time. Wasn't God at all. We did it. We were seeking to exalt ourselves, promote ourselves. When Peter, under the inspiration of the Spirit, says, humble yourselves under God's hand that he may exalt you. That's exactly what Joseph did. He put himself under God's hand in a prison as low as he could get, believing that God would lift him up. And look where he ends up, on the chair, and not the electric chair. The chair of authority. Pharaoh says to him, you will have run of this whole land. I will only be greater, only me. Otherwise, you are our man. What a story. Doesn't say anything about Joseph's feelings. I'm sure he had some. Thirteen years of trial he endured. But what I see in the whole story as I've read it and reread it, is a development in the life of this young man. All of those circumstances was developing him for the advancement that God had in mind for him all along. We learn a little of that when he names the two sons that are born to him after Pharaoh gives him a wife. The first son is Manasseh. It means to forget. The trials of the past, the pains of the prison were forgotten because Joseph was in God's will. And when you're in God's will, it's easy to forget the pain of the past. When you're out of God's will, it haunts you. It's like a nightmare. But when you're in God's will, you can put it out of your mind. He named him Manasseh, forgetting the things which are behind. I press forward toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God. He had another son. His name was Ephraim. It means doubly fruitful, suggesting that all his trials led to fruitfulness and blessing, not to agony and to pain, but fruitfulness and blessing. Ephraim shall be his name after Manasseh. I have forgotten, and now things are fruitful and blessed. Hallelujah. It says, my friends, God kept his word to Joseph. Joseph's predictions came true. The word of the Lord stands when man's wisdom fails. 
If in this hour you're figuring out the economy and you're figuring out the moves and you don't have time to pray and talk to God about your decisions, beware, my friend, beware. When man's wisdom fails, we need the word of the Lord. Now, that was all introductory. You needed that for what I am about to share with you now. Two points to put on the back of your bulletin. A wise and discreet man and a faithful and wise God. When you have that combination, you have something worth looking at. A wise and discreet man and a faithful and wise God. And under the second point, we'll have four subpoints that I'll end up with. First, let's look at this wise and discreet man. Why did Pharaoh appoint an unknown prisoner, a foreigner, to high office? Verse 38, focus your eyes on it. Can we find such an one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? They believed that God spoke through this man, that the Spirit of God was with him and in him. They called him a discreet man, and that word means careful and sensible in speech and action, a wise and discreet man, sensible, careful in speech and action. It is the description of a Christian. That's all. That ought to be what every Christian is to the world. Wise, careful, sensible. Why is it that into my office then walked a lady with bruises all over her arm and up and down her leg, ugly, horrible bruises? I said, what happened to you? She said, my husband took an axe handle and beat me. He sat in church Sunday by Sunday listening to me preach. I suspect if I would ask how many of you are ready to meet Jesus, he would have raised his hand. Now, I don't understand that. I am appalled at how much of that goes on. And I'm not here to find skeletons in closets today. But I am here to say to you that Joseph's life is an example to all of us at Capital Christian Center. We should be careful and sensible and wise in our speech and our actions. The world is watching us. Why is it that we are so surly and mean? Why do I hear from time to time, Pastor, he cussed at me? Why do I hear from time to time family members saying, he's one thing at home and another thing at church? Pastor, if you only knew. Joseph was a discreet. Wise man. Why don't we 
start treating one another the way Christians should treat one another. Whether we're in the prison or in the palace, why don't we take a chapter out of Joseph's life? What do you say? You have seen the question. Let me throw it at you again today. Are you a part of the solution or a part of the problem? Whether that thing has to do with your family, your business, your relationship in the church, are you a part of the solution or are you a part of the problem? Joseph became a part of God's solution to a multitude of people. One man. I am only one, but I am one. That's what I learned from Joseph. Pharaoh calls him into his presence and to the bewilderment of this young Israelite. Pharaoh takes his signet ring and puts it on Joseph's finger. You know what that is a sign of. It is a sign of authority. You have the run of the whole kingdom. Spiritualizing that, we can say the believer's position in God is that of authority. But we don't have authority to push one another around. We have spiritual authority against the forces of darkness in this world. Let us be wise and discreet as God puts the signet ring on our finger. Let us use our authority to build, not to tear down. If you will look in verse 42, he then puts a chain about his neck. That was a significant moment. Picture it. The great Pharaoh of Egypt reaching out to touch that little Israelite who had been a prisoner. Puts that expensive chain around the neck of Joseph. What is that a sign of? It is a mark of dignity. Wherever you go, Joseph, they will bow down to you because of the chain about your neck. The believer doesn't stoop to the devil's methods. He doesn't shove. He doesn't shout. He doesn't say, I want my way when I want it. I have this right. He has a chain of dignity around his neck. He walks uprightly, as the first psalm says. He doesn't sit in the council of evil men. He walks in the presence of God and wisdom. And then he puts on his shoulders a robe of fine linen, a priestly dress. Spiritually, we are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus we have the robe of righteousness upon us, which simply means right living. Righteousness means to live right before your fellow man. People say all the time, I can't. You're right. Let me say it again. You're right. Galatians 2.20 is in the Bible, though. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet it is not I, but Christ that liveth in me. There's your answer. The robe is on your shoulders, the robe of rightness. 
You're right with your companion. You're right with your family. You're right with your church. You're right in your work. You're right because the robe of rightness is on your shoulders. That's the way Joseph lived. He was living up to his privileges in God. He had been doing that even in the prison. He did it in the pit that his brothers put him in. But notice now the whole kingdom is going to notice his position. And isn't that the way it's going to be with every true believer? We're going to rule and reign with him. Whether you're ever put up on the platform or not, that doesn't matter. You're going to rule and reign with Christ. So smile. Don't look so dejected. You're a king and a priest unto God. We all have the promise. We're all heading that way. There is victory for all of God's people. Whether it's recognized now or not doesn't change the fact it's coming. May I read for you a little statement in Proverbs 18, verse 16? A man's gift maketh room for him. You don't have to push your own way. You don't have to scheme and connive. A man's gift makes room for him. Joseph walked with God. Joseph could interpret dreams. Joseph was a man of faith. His gift made room for him in Potiphar's house. It made room for him in the jail. And now it's going to make room for him in the whole kingdom. All knees bow to Joseph. Relax, friend. Stop fighting. Stop struggling. Just let the gift that God has put within you find an avenue. It will be beautiful. And people will say of you, a wise and discreet person. And then secondly, a faithful and wise God. This fellow who didn't need any connections outside of his God now makes known to us as the story progresses his faithful and wise God. He's sovereign over all the events in my life, is what Joseph is saying to us in church today. He is sovereign over everything that happens to me. Go back and rehearse the story in your mind again. His honorary brothers who sold him into slavery the Ishmaelite slave dealers who bought him, Potiphar who picked him up at a bargain price, Potiphar's wife who schemed a scheme against him and caused him to be thrown into prison, prisoners that he rubbed shoulders with, and then the Pharaoh that he stands before, so many links in the divine chain that eventually led him to the prime minister's position. Now I want to say something very important in my message today to you. 
men execute God's purposes even when unconscious or rebellious. Men execute the purposes of God in us. Even though they may be heathen unbelievers, men execute God's purposes. Don't curse the one who gets you into trouble. The Bible says bless and curse not in Romans 12, 14. You don't go around cursing, you go around blessing. People have asked me, what do I do when this person has done what they've done to me? My answer is bless them. Bless them. Curse not. That's what Joseph did, believing God had a plan. Those years of trial crowned with sudden prosperity for Joseph are a beautiful picture of the importance of patience and trust in a wise God. If one of Joseph's misfortunes had been omitted, his good fortune would never have come. Hello? If even one of his misfortunes had been omitted, the good fortune would never have come. But you say, how many more do I have to go through? I don't know. But we have a faithful and wise God. That's what I want you to get. He's loving. He's sovereign. He knows what he's doing. Not one thread in the tapestry of his life could have been withdrawn without spoiling the pattern that God was creating on the loom of his life. Not one thread. Are you still with me? We cannot afford to lose one of our sorrows or one of our trials on this journey. Not one. Boy, I've never heard preaching like that, you're saying. Well, I'm glad you came to church today. You needed it. Not one sorrow, not one misfortune, not one trial can be withdrawn if you are to be the man of God he wants you to be, the woman of God he wants you to be. You need every single one of them. There's no summer unless winter. There is a bud or a fruit for every snowflake and a bird song for every howl of the storm. Joseph simply accepted the faithfulness of God. It's plain to see that he accepted the circumstances of, the, of his life, though he did not comprehend the things God was going to do through him. His character was matured by his trials. No question about it. Granite City, Illinois, two weeks ago today, when I was on my way to preach at Granite City First Assembly, we drove by one of the biggest mills I've ever seen in my life. It covered blocks and blocks and blocks of Granite City. And the pastor said, this is the steel mill. Without that, this town would go under. It was enormous. And I had to think driving by there, how is steel or iron tempered? How is it made useful? Is it not by basically two things, blows and fire? How is it that we can have rails for locomotives? 
How is it that we can build huge monuments, buildings, and they will stand in the storm because the steel and the iron has been hammered on and hammered on and put through the heat of the fire, and it holds? Is there not a lesson in that for us today? My brother and I were talking yesterday about our past and where we've been and where we are. One thing that's very obvious to us, everything that's happened to us has been in the design of God. <laughs> I could never, even though I wanted to, some 25 years ago, pastor a church like this. I pastored one. God knew what I could handle. I had 35 people. That'd be about five rows here. But that experience I needed, desperately. And you just move from one thing to the next in God's providence and time. And you look back and say, every trial, every bit of hammering, every bit of pressure, I needed, thank you, Father. Thank you. Joseph was content to look after a jail even though he had dreamed of those sheaves bowing down before him, never complained. What are the life patterns of those who reach the top, the Josephs of this world? These are my four subpoints that I want to close with. Four Ds. First of all, they dreamed. Those who reach the top, and it's not wrong to reach the top. They dream. Sanctified ambitions, I would call it. Anointed by God. You'll never get above the ground until you run the risk of lost hopes. Can you imagine the heartbeat of Joseph when he stood before the Pharaoh and said, this is the dream? What if it didn't happen? What if he was put over the realm and there wasn't plenty and the whole thing fell flat? He was willing to run that risk. Men need to dream. Churches need to dream. We need to move into bigger spheres. And God has given us the ability to dream. I used to sit in church when I was a boy listening to our pastor preach and I would dream. I remember saying back in those days, oh, I wonder if I could ever pastor a church this big. We had 600 people. That was a big, big church back then. Could God ever surround me with people who believed in me and would follow me like we follow him? I would think that sitting there in the church. Toward the end of this month, I will be back in Springfield, Missouri for a few days lecturing at Central Bible College, my alma mater. It's the first invitation to come back. It took them all these years. 1,200 students I'll get to talk to. Ooh, I can hardly wait. But as the invitation came from the president of the school, I thought of how I used to sit in that chapel, in those old wooden seats, 
as speaker after speaker would come through, story after story would be related, and I would say, oh, God, would you ever let me do something like that? I would dream, oh, how I would dream. I saw this little girl walk by from Wisconsin, and I would dream, oh, how I would dream. It's not a sin to dream. Joseph did. Look where it got him. From prisoner to prime minister. The second D is the word dare. Those who reach the top dare. Some dreamers just dream. Have you met any? They just sit in little groups talking about their dreams. They never get up off their duff. They just talk about it. I've met some old folk like that. It's sorry. It's a sorry sight. They just content to talk about what they dream. But those who reach the top like Joseph dare to get their heads chopped off. Joseph dared to accept the challenge of heading up Egypt for the next several years. He hadn't even been to the university. But he accepted the challenge. He dared to allow himself to be put in that position. I've had to dare to change the patterns of my ministry over the years. Growth and development have demanded that I do so, but it's a lonely life sometimes. Because what comes back to me is I have had to change, dare to change in order to minister in the capacity I feel God is giving me in my dreams. I have had people say, he doesn't really care about me. Oh, that hurts. How that digs in the spirit. But you see, I've had to do some changing. The hours of counseling, of administrating this great work, of leading our staff of 15 on the pastoral level, of preparing for these many hours of public ministry that God opens to me week after week have made me dare to believe that people would understand if I could not reach out and touch them every week of their life or sit in their home and drink tea with them. It would be a delight, but I only have two legs and two arms and only one body. And it's getting older, my wife tells me. But you see, I dare to believe that love in the family causes us all to understand. And though we may not be touching palm to palm as much as we would like, we know we love one another and we're building something bigger than our little kingdom. It's the kingdom of the Almighty and the eternal God. I dare to believe for that. The third D is the decide factor. You dream, you dare, then you decide to pick up the ball and run with it. 
the history professor asked, how many of you have started your term paper? Not a hand went up. He paced the floor like a lion. He was getting very evidently to the boiling point. Finally, he blurted out as those students sat there in stunned silence. Just don't forget what I'm about to tell you. Beginning is half done. That's wisdom. Getting the paper in the typewriter. Getting out of bed in the morning. Going into that office and say, Sir, I understand you're looking for an employee. You need look no further. I am the best you will ever find. You decide to do something about your fate. Those are the people who arrive. You've got to pick up the ball and run with it. The football game was totally against one team, and the coach sent in two plays, both for Charlie. Ended up, Charlie wasn't involved in either one of them. Coach called timeout, got his player to call timeout. The quarterback ran over to the sidelines, and the coach said, what's going on out there? I sent two plays in for Charlie, and he didn't get involved in either one. The quarterback said, coach, it's simple. We're getting beat so bad, Charlie don't want that ball. That's the way it is in life sometimes, but you've got to pick it up and run with it if you're going to make a score. Beginning is half done. Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he says to you, do. Decide. I have hanging on my wall in my office this little motto. Miracles happen when you stop telling God it's impossible. That was worth all the gas to get you here today. Miracles happen when you stop telling God it's impossible. You decide. Finally, dedicate. You dream, you dare, you decide, and you dedicate. It has been said that nothing spoils people like success, but not so with Joseph. And I have searched for the answer to that, and I think I have found it. Nothing spoils people like success. Not so when you reach down from the top where God has put you to help those who are below you. There is the answer. Joseph was always stooping over to help someone else whether it was his brothers or whether it was the kingdom of Egypt. He moved about the countryside serving the people, and they bowed before him in gratitude. Because though he wore the signet ring and the chain was about his neck and the royal robe was on his shoulders, he was always stooping down to lift someone up. In the council of some this week, we analyze the problem of a certain person. 
And our analyzation was this. All she needs to do is get outside of herself and start helping somebody else. To dedicate herself to someone else's problem, she will be well. I've been into some hospitals this week. I go in thinking I'm going to bless these folks. I always come out more blessed than I was ever a blessing to them. I stopped at the bedside of a young lady in her 20s this week. She's lost 30 pounds. She's down to 82 pounds. Lines running into her from everywhere. Food was sitting on her tray. I said, can't you eat this? She said, I, it just comes up. I can't keep anything down. Not even this jello, not this jello. What's the matter? She said, they don't know. They cannot seem to put their finger on it. I took that bony, skinny hand. And I said, Jesus, you know. You know, give her what she needs, touch her, heal her. And I stood thinking how stupid I must have looked because I had this dumb gown on I had to put on to get in there. I never could understand those gowns. You have to tie them in the back. I can't tie anything back there. I don't know how some of you women even dress. Trying to button things from the back. We men button from the front. I thought I must have looked dumb. But I'll tell you one thing. I walked out of there a mile high. Because it was a joy and a privilege to stop and administer the life of Jesus to her. And as I stood by the bed before leaving, seeing her look up and say, Pastor, thank you so much for coming. I never dreamed you'd come. Oh, if I could only spend all of my time like that. It's impossible. But I've learned this. When you dedicate yourself to stoop down and pick up, you're never down. When you dedicate yourself to someone else's problems, there is a sense of power in life that is a part of you. In our day of getting and greed, how important it is for us to put that into our hearts. Well, I've got to quit. He went out of a cell into the second chariot. And I would say that's pretty good for a kid who never got to college. 
who was hated by his brothers and sold into slavery and ended up in prison. Is it just an unusual story that God stuck in the Bible to intimidate us? I don't think so. I think in Joseph, as in Jesus, his counterpart in the New Testament, we see God's desire for his people. God's heart reaching out to us, teaching us to climb higher, but always with faith that he knows what he's doing as he leads us from glory to glory. God has a higher road for every one of us in this service, all watching by television, listening by tape. None of us are batting a thousand. We need to put ourselves confidently into the hands of the Almighty, just like Joseph did. Dream, dare, decide, dedicate. Let the chips fall where they may, but our hand is locked in his hand. Our eyes are riveted and on his word. We are not going to make it on our own. We are going to trust God, the God of Joseph. Made him one of the greatest examples I've ever read about him. Let's bow our heads in prayer.